Passionate DJ Podcast, where we are becoming better DJs through passion and purpose. And now your host, David Michael. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael. And today we are going to be going into the Passionate DJ community group on Facebook, which you can get to at passionatedj.com forward slash community. And we're going to look at a couple of posts that I made recently. We've been doing a new thing called Question of the Week. And uh, what we're actually going to do in this episode of the podcast is take two of those questions, which are kind of related, one of them having to do with beat matching and the other having to do with what a real DJ is. Uh, A lot of that kind of goes hand in hand. I'm going to take those and just kind of read some of your responses um, and kind of give my reactions to those and talk about this idea of real DJing. What is a real DJ? Uh, what are the requirements to be a real DJ? And also talk about uh, is beat matching, but also uh, all the other kind of things that are considered to be fundamental skills of DJing, uh, beat matching, phrasing, um, and you know anything that's related to those sort of core aspects of mixing. Is that stuff still important to learn in 2018 with the way that technology has taken over a lot of these tasks with the sync button and quantize and things like that. So we're going to dive into that. Uh, Before we do, I just really quickly want to remind you about our bonus show, which is called After Party. Um, We haven't started doing YouTube versions of that yet. We're still playing with the YouTube version of this show. Um, Obviously, you should go subscribe on our YouTube channel if you haven't done so already, if you're listening to the audio version. But After Party is our monthly bonus show that we give to Patreon subscribers. And we're getting to the point uh, where our goal is almost at the end of its time frame, and we haven't reached our goal of 30 patrons, uh, which is a little bit disappointing. We were hoping to be there by now, but the people who are in there are really enjoying it. So we're kind of getting to the point now where we're deciding, do we keep doing a bonus show? Do we not? So those of you who are already signed up as a patron, I would love your feedback. Just uh, create a post in Patreon or send me a DM or uh, shoot me a message at david at passionatedj.com. And just let me know what you like and dislike about After Party. Should we bring After Party into uh, you know, a video format, kind of like we're playing with, with the Passionate DJ podcast? Uh, what do you guys like? What do you dislike? I would love to know uh, if we should keep doing that or if we should put our efforts somewhere else. Because uh, myself and my team definitely want to con- continue bringing you this content that you love. And uh, that comes with expenses. We have to pay for our time. I have to pay for my team. And so in order to keep this running, we're looking for the best ways to do that without just inundating you with ads all the time. So enough about that. If you're interested in signing up to be a patron, you can sign up at any amount that you want. Uh, you sign up at patreon.com slash passionate DJ. And uh, there's a very low tier, which will give you access to the bonus show. But you could, you know set a monthly pledge of $1 or 5 or 10 or 100 if you want to. Uh, whatever kind of value that you feel you're getting out of this show or after party, uh, we would love to have you on and uh, have you support us as a supporter of Passionate DJ. Anyways, that's what we're doing, all this experimentation. Uh, let us know what you think. Post in the comments below. Uh, what do you, you know, are you watching the video versions or do you prefer to stay subscribed, you know, on your Apple Podcasts or whatever your app is and listen to it in the car and stuff? Because that's how I consume podcasts most of the time. Uh, but I also follow YouTubers, so we're just kind of combining the two and uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying. But anyway, let's go ahead and get on to our Passionate DJ Community Queries. Okay, so the first question that we posted in the group was, is manual beat matching... Uh, still an important skill in 2018, why or why not? And uh, as we always do when we ask questions similar to this, we got a lot of varied responses, and we got a lot of people who actually were saying, were kind of dancing around the same thing. So I thought it was pretty interesting, and I just wanted to go ahead and read some of these responses. Is manual beat matching important skill in 2018? Rochelle says, sure is to me, otherwise my cat really is a DJ. (laughs) So we did get a lot of people poking fun and having fun with the question as well. Um, Scott says, I didn't force myself to learn it for nothing. How else will other DJs consider me a, quote, real DJ? Now, that's a little tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but we are going to get to that in the second half of the show uh, because that does seem to be a hang-up for a lot of DJs, especially old-school DJs or people who 
took the time to manually beat match after sync was already a thing. Uh, they feel like that's kind of what separates the men from the boys or the girls from the women when it comes to DJing is how good they can beat match and those kind of rudimentary skills. Of course, in 2018, uh, actually long before 2018, a lot of the stuff has been arguably made obsolete uh, as far as syncing and quantizing and that sort of stuff. makes it really easy for you to get stuff on beat uh, if the track is either properly prepped or properly analyzed by the software um, and gets that beat grid right, which allows for, you know, allows DJs to do a lot of different things. You can mix as many decks as you want and they'll always stay in sync with each other. Uh, but that really takes some of the magic away for some DJs, as you'll see in some of these responses. Ian says, that's a very good question. I'm ex-vinyl, so yes. But in the real world, and if you aren't playing clubs, I would probably say no. So that's an interesting response. Yeah, obviously as an ex-vinyl DJ, it's hard for you to say, nah, syncing or uh, beat matching isn't important because beat matching is kind of everything when you're mixing vinyl unless you're scratching and cutting and doing that sort of turntablism. So uh, the part that maybe I get stuck on is uh, if you aren't playing clubs, I would say no because honestly I don't see what the difference is. I mean, if you're playing in a club, you have access to the same sync button as the next club DJ. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know why the, the venue or the type of gig matters there, um, but I think probably what Ian's saying is that if you, uh, if you play a lot of events where you need to be prepared, if you're doing this as a professional or you're playing clubs and you might show up, you might play on other people's equipment, you never know what you're going to run into, and so it's a good skill to have. I think that might be what Ian's getting at. Uh, that's definitely what some of the other DJs were getting at in their responses. James Henry gave a nice response. He said, Like any job or profession, there's a core requirement. You do not have to be good at it, but know its fundamentals. The benefit is you can increase your chances of getting good gigs if the venue is vinyl only. I know a guy who owns a record store and he does gigs with vinyl only more often than you would think in today's world of dance music. You may come across a CDJ that works, that plays CDs or a USB stick, but the display is damaged, so you can't read the BPM waveforms, etc. Your laptop fails and your only option is two turntables and a crate of records and storage. It's always a good idea to prepare yourself for any what-ifs. And lastly, bragging rights. Uh, bragging rights is something you can't argue against. That's a, uh, an opinion thing, and you do get to have the bragging rights of saying, hey, I can beat match in the old school way. I know how to do this manually. That's a skill that I have. Uh, definitely understand that. That's just something that some people hold important, uh, myself included. Uh, the benefit is you can increase your chance of getting different gigs if the venue is vinyl only. I suppose that's true, though... I don't know how many DJs are being severely limited because all the gigs in town are vinyl only. So I get your point, but that's probably a very small percentage of people that's actually going to affect frequently. Uh, I know a guy who owns a record store and he does vinyl only gigs more often than you would think. Uh, well, he owns a record store. <laughs> Um, you may come across CDJs that play CDs or USB sticks, but the display is damaged, so you can't read the waveforms, etc. Your laptop fails. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have the fundamental skill of beat matching and you know how to line up phrases and tracks and all that kind of stuff, you know how to count to four, the way we joke about all that kind of stuff, then it does open up your possibilities to play on... Uh, kind of anything, first of all, but stuff that's broken, stuff you didn't expect to count to encounter, um, actual turntables, older CDJs, it, uh, even just controllers that you're not familiar with or software that you're not familiar with. If you know how to DJ at its very basic core fundamental level, then you can kind of take that concept and move it into anything. I mean, if you have a, a tape deck with an adjustable speed, you can beat match with that. If, you, you know, if you're like me, you're driving around in the rain and you're in your head, you're trying to beat match the windshield wipers with the beat of whatever you're listening to. I've been doing that since I, I was a kid and before I even knew what a DJ was. Uh, so yeah, that skill tends to leak out and you can kind of grasp that and use it in any scenario where you need to. Um, 
Though I could also make the argument that, uh, you know, if you're showing up at a gig where you're using busted CDJs with broken screens and stuff, uh, perhaps you could choose better gigs or maybe that's something that the promoter of that particular show should have handled. Uh, because you could also say, you know, you could show up at a gig and there's no equipment or you could show up at a gig and there's like an Ableton push there and it's not even really meant for what you do as a DJ. You know what I mean? Like there's you could run into you could take that to any degree that you want. Um, but just pointing that out, that being said, uh, I totally agree that having that skill set to fall back on and to use, um, if not important, uh, definitely helps set you apart. I really like Amber's response here. She says, yes, it's still important to train your ears. Equipment can fail, and un uncalibrated equipment may give a false BPM reading. Using your ears is the only way out of that, and that takes training. Yeah, so that's one thing about learning how to beat match manually, is that it forces your ears to really, really listen to what's going on, and even if you don't realize it, you're picking up other skills along the way you're really your brain is tuning in to what that finely tuned finely matched transition really sounds like how the phrasing should go and you start listening to subtle pieces of the track that you might have otherwise just kind of let go past you without you noticing you might uh, for instance a lot of people who mix drum and bass uh, they will tell you to, rather than to mix on the, the kick drum, they'll tell you to mix on the snare because that's a lot more consistent in a breakbeat style. Uh, whereas in house you have boots, 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 boots. You have one, two, three, four. When you're mixing something like drum and bass, which is a breakbeat at hyperactive speed, then you have that... You just have, kind of have stuff going everywhere, right? But that snare... In most tracks, is almost always there. So you do do tack do 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 tack do do three do do three three. If that makes sense. So you 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 learn to really tune in on different parts of the track and learn how to focus on those and make things happen. And then once you know what the rules are, you also know how to break them. The mighty Modingo chimes in. He says, "Depends on the kind of DJ you are and what you value in that role. When I'm playing at clubs or CrossFit events, it's absolutely necessary." For corporate and wedding gigs, not really. I just did a wedding last Saturday and intentionally did absolutely zero beat matching. I just played all the hits and requests. I even played two songs twice. Zero complaints from the couple or the family. Did anyone notice or care that I didn't mix one time? Nope. Was the client satisfied? Yep. But, as a core competency, I feel it's an important skill even in 2018. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, it really depends on the type of DJing you're doing uh, when you're playing, say, CrossFit events. So you have people out there doing their workouts and, and things, and Mo tends to play, uh, has gigs where he plays music for these people who are doing their workouts and their burpees and their, I don't even know what they do. That's completely out of my world. But I know it's a lot of hard work, and I know that music gets those people moving and helps them uh, complete their workouts. And so they're not exactly honing in and focusing on, oh man, that transition was so bad and it just messed up my whole routine. Like, they just need that energy to keep on moving. They need the, mu the music to keep going, uh, but most talked about this on the show many times. Sometimes that tempo change is a good thing in that scenario. Uh, you might run into other uh, situations, like uh, the, the example I always bring up is fashion shows. I used to play a lot of fashion shows, and so I didn't really, I just had to be reactive. I had to watch the models and see what they were doing on stage. I had to listen to the announcer. I had to know when to turn the music down uh, or filter it down or whatever I was doing to make sure that the people could hear. Uh, I needed to make sure that uh, the, the tempo was appropriate for the stuff. You know, if they're wearing these big dresses with stuff jangling around and dragging, I don't want them to trip, right? So I kind of try to pay attention to all these clues of what's happening on the stage before I play the next track and sometimes that kind of bumps beat matching and beat mixing out of the water because there's something more important happening than people seeing my mad mixing skills and that's not what they're there for anthony says yes especially if you ever want to play anything with varying bpms and he mentions top 40 break core or anything with a live drummer 
Also, you never know what kind of gear you're going to step up to. God forbid you end up in front of a pair of 850s and all your BPMs are listed incorrectly. So yeah, once again, the uh, you could run into old gear, you could run into uh, gear you're not used to. It definitely uh, helps you get out of those situations. But yes, I really like his point about playing stuff with varying BPMs, especially so if one kind of hot thing that, that some really cool DJs are doing, people will mix 45s and they'll play like funk music or, you know, like stuff from the 70s that has real live drummers in it. Well, you're not going to lock that into a beat grid. Uh, so you have to be able to ride the pitch. And that's a skill that a lot of modern DJs just don't have because they never really figured they ever would have a reason to do that because everything they play is quantized to a grid. It's dance music. It's, you know, computer uh, computerized or, you know, played by a machine. So everything is in perfect time, which is not always the case with, you know, some old record with uh, a funk drummer, you know, playing a routine. So, yeah, definitely helps with uh, playing stuff like that. Uh, and also in the case of, you know, maybe you are playing something that is a modern dance track but uh, it was analyzed incorrectly, or I've had tracks that drift that I've bought straight off a of Beatport. And so it's, it's like, why is this going, you know, faster, or why did the tempo change, or something like that. I'm not always sure why that stuff happens sometimes, but you do run into it. And uh, so it's a great skill to be able to fall back on, uh, especially if you're surprised by that scenario. Sean chimes in. He says, literally, it's something that takes 20 minutes to learn. It's no big deal either way, honestly. It's a feat that anyone can manage to do. I never understand the ego over such a simple task. It's no trophy task to me. Uh, yeah, I feel you on that, Sean. Though I think it might be um, a little dismissive to say it takes 20 minutes to learn because uh, it might take 20 minutes to teach the skill. But in order to master it is a lot more difficult, especially, I mean, for some people. Uh, some people pick it up pretty quickly. Some people kind of get it, and then they say, I can beat match now, and I'm a real DJ, and I learned within an hour, and I was as amazing as I am now 10 years later. And then, uh, but usually what ends up happening is you say, oh, I get it, and then you, then you start nailing, like, one out of every 10 mixes, and then you get one out of every five, and then you settle in somewhere as a DJ where you get most of them right, and every now and then it still gets a little off the rails, and you gotta, re you know, reel it in and that kind of stuff, which, you know, is kind of part of the fun of mixing vinyl. Um, but yeah, point taken. I mean, it's not something that we should be puffing our chest up about. Big freaking deal, right? You can make two songs play at the same tempo and mix them together. Doug says, I have to say, I've never once used the beat matching thing in Serato. It may be accurate, but I trust my ear a lot more. Yeah, trusting your ear. So I've had software mixed tracks where I've listened to it, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure the beat grid is on, and everything is playing in sync, and everything should be right, but it sounds better to my ear if I nudge this track a little this way, or I make this little adjustment over here. So the software is not always perfect, and even if it gets it close enough for your crowd, um, is that enough for you as a uh, sort of perfectionist DJ? Uh, because a lot of times you can just get it dialed in, and I always say if it sounds good, it is good. Joseph says, Mixing by ear is such a fun skill that it's easy to improve at. It's a sizable chunk of the fun of DJing to me. Knowing you could train wreck at any time, Ups the ante as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, we just talked about that. It's kind of part of the fun is knowing that you're a little bit at risk, and when you nail it, you kind of get this little dopamine hit, and it's fun. Uh, I can't imagine any valid reason why someone wouldn't want to learn it. The DJs I know personally who disregard learning to mix by ear claim that sync frees them up to do other stuff. They also manage to be some of the most boring DJs I've ever listened to. I think the lack of effort is going to taint the finished product no matter where the corners are cut. If someone's ego is so big that they feel that they're too cool to learn a simple skill that will inevitably save their ass when a computer screws up, it's their loss ultimately. This is coming from someone who started out 12 years ago using nothing but sync. I feel manually beat matching is just giving yourself more control and connection to what you're playing. Joseph, awesome response. I love every bit of that. You know... It is a fun skill that's easy to improve at. I think I like the way you, you worded that. 
It's easy to learn. It's easy to improve at, but there's almost always room to improve your beat matching or any of these kind of fundamental skills. Uh, yeah, knowing that you could train wreck at any man at any minute ups the ante. Um, once again, yeah, when you when you nail that mix, and not only as a DJ, we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, when you're in the crowd, and especially when you're another DJ and you're in the crowd, and you are watching somebody mix vinyl, and you know the skill that that takes, and they're up there, and you hear you hear a little bit of phasing, or you hear the hi hats start to kind of fall off tempo, or something like that. And then you start kind of like, oh, oh, he's going to lose it. He's going to lose it. And then they make some correction or they, you know, whack the pitch up a little bit or they do something and they correct it. And you go, oh, he or she got it. And you get excited. And then you kind of join them. But, you know, I've had moments where you've, I've connected with other DJs up on the uh, behind the decks before as a patron just standing in the crowd because it's, you, know, you give them a little fist bump because like, yeah, yeah, you pulled it through. And it's just kind of a cool thing that happens. Um, yeah, mixing by ear, uh, DJs who mix by ear claim that sync frees them up to do other stuff, but they end up being super boring DJs. That's a fair argument. I've heard that a lot. Uh, I've been hearing this argument since digital DJing really started taking a hold in the mid to late 2000s, uh, where people would say, it frees me up all this time to do all this extra stuff. You know, they would take like a Richie Houghton quote who would say stuff like that all the time. I love that it frees me up to do all these other things. And then they think because they're using the sync button and tractor that they're Richie Houghton and they're doing all these things, but they're really just staring at their laptop, mixing the last 32 bars into the first 32 bars, as my co-host Trip likes to say, uh, and just kind of not doing anything else with it. Uh, that being said, I'm, I'm not a super tricky, showy kind of DJ. I play with scratching a little bit and stuff, but... Uh, when I add things to my sets, you know, I'll add loops, I'll add, I, I use Tractor a lot, so I'll use remix sets and, and things like that, and I'll just kind of use them as tools or additives to whatever I'm doing. Um, so it frees me up to to do that stuff, but I don't, I don't ever say that I couldn't have done it if I was manually beat matching too. It just gives me a little bit of time to sit back and think about what I want to do next, uh, because that's what I do as a DJ. I'm, I'll be like, oh, you know what? This song has a breakdown in it. I'm going to go grab that little loop that I have uh, that has a little hi-hat on it that's going to kind of keep these dancers' feet moving that are on the crowd right uh, in the on the dance floor right now because I like this breakdown. It's pretty, and they're going to love it, but they also might stop dancing, and then I might lose some of them to go outside and smoke or whatever it is that they want to do. So uh, maybe I'll go grab that little hi-hat loop or something and drop it in onto a third or fourth deck, and then I can kind of keep on browsing for my next track and doing whatever it is that I do. So it makes me more laid back. It's not that I'm cramming that time with all these other crazy showy things. It's that I go, okay, now that I'm not beat matching, let me think about my next track. Let me think about what loop I could drop here. Let me think about what subtle effect I could add to the end of this build. And I, it gives me time to process that more than do tricks, if that makes sense. And I think that that's the same for a lot of DJs. Um, but most DJs just take that time to kind of do nothing. And they stare and they become part of their laptop screen. And uh, I think that's the complaint being made here. But Joseph, just a great response all around. Sky says, coming from vinyl, I learned how to beat match early on, and once I moved back to digital, thank goodness the vinyl was breaking my back, beat matching became almost entirely unnecessary. I've rarely used it since, but on the occasions when hardware failed or impromptu sets had to be played, it's made me feel proud to have the skill. Another DJ might have just faded or train wrecked tracks, and I've walked away from potential disaster sets with grace. I thought this response was very pragmatic. Um, I really appreciated it because basically what Sky is saying is, I no longer need it, but I'm glad to have it. And I think in 2018, that's just about the perfect response to this question, uh, the perfect approach to beat matching. Do I need it? Maybe not. Uh, is it good to have? Absolutely. Our friend Drew says, it will always be. When I help my young apprentice, he has to play on decks or CDs in my presence. No exceptions, no excuses. I am proud of how he's progressing, too. 
So, hey, Drew's just sticking to his guns. He said, this is the way you DJ. This is the way it's been done in the past, and I want you to learn this too. Uh, you know, I get it, and if you're both down with that, then go for it. Kenzie says, DJing is auditory and not visual. I screwed myself in the beginning by beat matching visually, and it really stunned myself. As someone who's tried to take the shortcut, it will not always sound how it looks. Plus, once you get to CDJs, there's no longer that crutch, and it's sink or swim. Uh, of course, it depends on the CDJs you're using, but yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate your honesty here, Kenzie, uh, for saying that, hey, I learned how to do this by looking at the screen, and it screwed me up later. Uh, that's a great uh, little case study there that other DJs who have not taken the time to learn how to beat match might want to listen to. Uh, you feel like it stunned you and kept you from really having the DJ skill and the ear for mixing that you might have had otherwise, and it sounds like you've gone back and picked that up later, which is pretty awesome. Joseph says, I think so. It's kind of like photography. You can set your camera to auto and let it do all the exposure and focus calculations, but if you know how to do all that manually and do it well, the end result most of the time is better, and it's a hundred times more rewarding. Yeah, that's a good point, and that's kind of, you know, speaks to the, the training your ear thing a little bit. Um, and this is something that I relate to because I'm, you know, I'm trying to shoot video in here and take pictures of gear that I review and all that kind of stuff. And I'm by no means a photographer, but I'm learning over time just out of necessity. The more I do it, where I should place lights and what I should set my exposure to and my shutter speed. And, you know, I'm not an expert in any of that stuff, but every time I do a shoot or a review or something like that, I learn a little bit more about it and I, be I become better at doing that. Uh, and I think the same really holds true for DJing as well. Greg has an opposing viewpoint. He says, no. Case in point, Larry Levan wasn't known for his mixing skills, and this was the case with many early, well-known pioneers. It was never a major requirement to be extremely good at it at all. It's good to know how and to be good, but even now, more than ever, it's not a requirement. Period. You know, it's a fair point, and that's true. A lot of the early uh, pioneer DJs really didn't mix at all, or at least they didn't beat match and beat mix in the way that we think of it now. Uh, Rob points out that uh, Ron Hardy was the same way, and then follows up with, at the same time, don't mistake, the skill is important because it not only enhances and displays the knowledge and music appreciation of the DJ, but it also separates the DJ as a musician from the poser human jukeboxes we see today. I, I kind of get both points here because it also kind of speaks to, well, what type of DJ are you? What type of DJing are you doing? And if you build a brand on, you know, slam mixing and fast mixing and stuff, which a lot of modern DJs have, um, then fine. You know, who's to say that you can't put your musical collage together uh, in a different way than I do? Um, so, yeah, once again, depends on what you want to do and the situations you're going to run into. But if you're DJing in a modern context where you're sharing gear and mixing on different equipment all the time or playing at a venue where they have house equipment or whatever the situation is, um, I think that the point that we keep coming back to here is uh, if not a requirement, just it's just a good idea. Lando says, absolutely. Software can glitch. Tracks get misread, which happens a lot in Virtual DJ and Rekordbox. XDJs only read Rekordbox files, so tracks on Tractor take forever to analyze. You never know what gear they have at an after party. You have to beat match on older CDJs, and playing records is fun, especially when you can beat match. I've been DJing for 11 years and only learned how to beat match four years ago. It was a game changer. Selection is the most important part of DJing. If you can beat match easily, you can concentrate on what's most important. That's a great response. Um, first of all, let me uh, congratulate you for, uh, after DJing for, what, seven years, deciding to learn a fundamental skill like beat matching instead of just holding to your guns and, and uh, saying, I don't need this, or just being lazy. You said, hey, this is something that I want to do. I think it's going to improve my DJing. And it sounds like it has. So great for you. That's awesome news. Um, yeah, software can glitch. Tracks get misread. Uh, yada, yada. You run into these kind of scenarios in a live environment all the time. And uh, the more confident you are in your very basic skill set, 
the less likely you are to panic in front of people, which is also something to consider uh, as a DJ. Zach Hill, also known as Tangled Branches, makes great music. You should check him out. He says, I think it's a very handy skill, and the practice involved with learning it is very good for your development as a DJ. Absolutely. And then finally, Ronan says, I think that my annoyance with the sync button, I've used it and will use it again, is that people today getting into the craft don't get to feel the months of aggravation standing there in the bedroom trying to lock two records together, putting time and effort into a craft. I also get the comment above of old school DJs and dirty mixing. There's an art to that too. I love a good old fashioned slam to another track, but it's got to be done right. I guess all in all, the reality isn't the method, it's playing music for the people. And my raver slash DJ self elitist will know if you're good or not, with or without a sync button. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Uh, Yeah, I get that, and I appreciate your honesty here too, because not a... I I think a lot of DJs who've been doing this for a while feel that way. They're just not willing to admit it because it kind of is like admitting uh, a bit of jealousy, right? It's like you didn't have to go through what I went through in order to do this, so you don't appreciate it the same way that I do, which in some cases may be true, but is is, – it's not something that you want to say, right? It just – it doesn't – it doesn't play well. So the fact that you're willing to, to say this, like, yeah, I feel this way, is, is um, pretty cool. Um, yeah, the months of aggravation standing there in the bedroom, trying to lock two records together, putting time and effort into the craft. You know, it, we, we talk about this on the show a lot. There used to be such a barrier of entry to DJing as compared to now. You know, now you can jump on your phone, download an app, you know, maybe get a $150 controller and you can do what it used to take. Maybe it took you 20 minutes to learn the skills, but it feels like it takes a lifetime to master. And technology has kind of taken that away to an extent. I like to argue that we can take, you know, the energy that we're not putting into beat matching and do other things with it, even if it's not trick mixing or showing off or mixing in 27 decks at the same time or whatever it is. But if we're not focusing all the time on improving beat matching, what could we spend our time improving? What can we improve about ourselves? How can we promote ourselves better? How can, you know, there are a lot of different things that, used to get taken up by this beat matching thing even outside of the act of doing it just learning how how to master it because i think a lot of djs actually got too hung up on this to where the the defining skill of whether or not you were a good dj or a real dj we'll get to that in a minute was how well you beat matched two songs together and a lot of other things kind of fell off of the chart track selection and and all that sort of stuff so that doesn't mean there are no other fundamental skills that we can be here focusing on but it sounds like overall the resounding response is uh, either yes it's necessary or no it's not necessary but it's just a really freaking good idea to know how to beat match in 2018 now of course we heard a lot of responses in there that had to do with whether or not somebody was a real DJ or if they didn't come out and say it it was kind of the implication was hey this is a basic skill that you should have if you're calling yourself a DJ and so I got curious about this and you know we we talked about this on the show and we even talked about it in our interview with DJ Craze uh, link in the description below you should definitely go check that out if you haven't uh, because he was kind of a big part of the real DJing Thing as far as hashtags you know he put out a, a pretty popular video when that was first coming out um, talking about what a real dj was and so i just posted uh the next week as question of the week what's your definition of a real dj and uh, here are some of the responses you gave brian gave the response that i always give when somebody asks me this question which is somebody who plays pre-recorded music for dancing or for a party Uh, Several people replied and said, yeah, and I think the reason that that simple answer resonates with so many people is because it's very open-ended, 
and it's not uh, you know it it's not exclusionary in the way that a lot of people's definitions of DJing are and maybe we'll see some of those responses in here if somebody's asking for a definition I try to break it into its most simplest form for that definition because uh, otherwise you're given too much information and you you're uh, you're you're referring to a subset of DJing by giving any more information than that right so if you say a DJ is somebody who uses two techniques turntables and scratches in front of a crowd well that might be your favorite kind of DJ but that's a different DJ than Casey Kasem who was the top 40 radio DJ right so there are lots of different kinds of DJs lots of different reasons for them to exist which is why I always get my panties in a bunch when people start talking about what a real DJ is. Mo says, someone who's a professional and honors the art of their particular method of DJing, be it club, corporate wedding, bedroom, helping others when they have the opportunity, build, it, build the community, bring others along for the ride, never play happy hardcore, etc. So <laughs> give him a little jab. He likes to pick on happy hardcore. Uh, yeah, it... I'm glad that you pointed out the different types of DJing, or at least some of the different types of DJing, um, but you made it about whoever honors that particular art or skill set. Tom Reed had a good point. Maybe you should also ask what isn't a real DJ. I think some people's answers are actually answering that question. Uh, Terry says, to be honest, with so much talk about what's a real DJ, I look at it more as a compliment when other DJs consider me not real. Hmm, fair enough. Aaron says, well, for starters, to be a real DJ, I think you have to wear a mask. That's number one. (laughs) Then Aaron comes back and gives uh, his reply again. He says, let's get real for a second. All DJs are real DJs, but some are jukeboxes for the masses, and some are artists of a sort creating soundscapes. I guess to me, a real DJ is one that understands time and place. And I think that was the most popular response by the the likes and hearts and, and reactions on that. Um, I like that. I guess a real DJ is one that understands time and place. Uh, that's just beautiful. Um, I'm going to let that stand on its own. Horace says, someone who lives and breathes music and lives to see people enjoying the music he or she is playing. I'll accept that. Johan says, in my opinion... Beat matching, mixing, technique, marketing, etc. help to make a real DJ, but really to me, the definition is someone who plays recorded music for others because that someone enjoys it. You know, that's a good point. Um, are you, can you really tell somebody who's really into what they're doing and mixing music that they're not a real DJ, no matter how they're doing it? Like if you have somebody who builds a whole brand off of, I don't know, holding two iPhones, playing two different Spotify songs, plugged into a crappy mixer, and make something kind of cool out of it, and they're super into it, and people dance. Um, I mean, how can you fault them? It, it's not really... The, the people that are going to be upset by that are you and me, right? It's going to be DJs who have been in this for a while, and... Uh, to the points earlier in the beat matching question, you know, we really took the time to learn how to do this the quote-unquote right way or the hard way, the manual way, and now you're doing this other weird thing. You know, DJing has always been a uh, front for experimentation, and this is happening all the time. You can just get on YouTube and and just start searching around, and you'll say, D- you'll see DJ uses... Uh, two old school reel-to-reel tape decks for scratching and then you'll see once this person takes apart this whole piece of dj gear and crams a pc into it to make you know like there's all these nerds hacking these things up right so there's always going to be some other method and i think that innovation is fun and silly and i think we should embrace it justin gave a very thoughtful response he says i think the answer will depend on the audience if i were a freelance writer someone might call me a real writer if i possessed some combination of skill experience and credentials or perhaps a couple published articles and a blog that i regularly update however an editor of time magazine could have significantly higher standards for their definition of a real writer i think that's why you'll find some variance in responses here ranging from anyone that plays music for a crowd to connoisseurs of all types of audio configurations that can beat match on the fly, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. So, yeah, um, 
that's a good point. There's going to be some variance in the response here because we're all um, emotionally invested and we have more context than the average person who's just looking at this DJ. You know, if you if even if you take like the festival crowd and you know, they're watching I don't want to give any names, but they're watching a big name DJ who's maybe known for uh playing mixed CDs and miming DJing or or something like that. You know, these stories have been outed over the years many times. Um, that average person in the crowd has no clue what's going on. They just see a DJ up there and they're surrounded by their friends and they're crowd surfing and they have loud sound and big lights and everything's fun and they're just having a good time. And they, they make that association with the person that's up on stage, uh, but they really don't have much idea of what's going on up there. And that person is going to have just as much fun if that person has all the skills in the world as they are if they're just kind of playing their favorite songs in a row. So, yeah, it gets a little um, messy there in the middle. But, yeah, definitely going to be some variance in response, and you're going to get the strongest response from uh, people like us who are uh, really invested in this stuff. Sean says, Someone that can be a composer and put a spell on an entire room and get smiles and movement on the dance floor. Reading the people and knowing how to groove them. Skills are skills, but honestly, if you teach me brain surgery, then I can do brain surgery. So the skills will come. But know how to create a vibe to put a spell on a group from ages 8 to 80 and to have them all in sync together is a DJ. Uh, hmm, let me see here. If you teach me brain surgery, then I can do brain surgery. So the skills will come. I don't know if I agree, but I think I'm picking up what you're putting down there. So, yeah, in other words, the person behind the decks is the person who's curating the music. They're curating the music for the party, and they're making it happen in the moment. The skills, they're going to impress, once again, other DJs or other people who are into DJing, not necessarily fans of just the music. And I think that's where we end up with a disconnect sometimes because if you go to a fancy restaurant and then you say I just didn't care for the steak it was overdone blah 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 and you're like but the but you're not a chef you don't get to say what's good and what's not well hell I can I can tell you if it's good or not if I like it it's a matter of taste you know what I mean and so um, skills are important in this case culinary skills but uh, it's not going to matter if you don't like the way it tastes, plain and simple. So, you know, I, I get the point that the more important thing is to create something that people like rather than to be good at something for its own sake. I hope that's coming. I'm having trouble putting this into words, but I hope that makes sense. Steven says, if you got to ask, you ain't one. Hashtag worry about yourself. <laughs> Greg says, there is no such definition. We all define for ourselves what it is, and it shouldn't be projected onto others. Totally agree with that. Um, I think that's really what I try to get at with these conversations, is just because I have an idea of what DJing is or what real DJing is uh, doesn't mean that it's the correct one. Um, it's an opinion. So projecting it onto others, especially in a way that's um, accusatory or is um, belittling, like you're not a real DJ because you don't blah, 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 whatever their particular requirements are. Um, you're just projecting and, and it's, it's kind of like DJ virtue signaling. It's just a way for you to say, look how awesome I am for learning this skill that you don't have. And I just think that's douchey. Sky says, Often the use of the word real in front of anything implies some amount of elitism. It's the same as saying good versus bad. Some may say a real DJ uses all analog equipment, only vinyl, scratches, manually beat matches songs, mixes in samples, or does on-the-fly mashups. I'd call many of those people turntablists, controllerists, finger drummers, and mashup artists. 
But for me, a good or real DJ is one who puts effort into making seamless and functional transitions. It's more important that the DJ respect the music and not make it distracting with too much use of effects, poor transitions, or adding too many samples or loops. If you can make a good mixtape that I can dance to or work while listening to that doesn't distract me and make me wonder what the heck the DJ is doing, you're a real DJ. It's about the music. Hmm. I, I definitely agree. You know, putting real in front of something does kind of, it, it's making it us and them, right? It's, it's elitist. It's separating. There's those people that do that thing over there, and then there's the real DJs over here who beat match manually or whatever. Let's see. For me, a good or real DJ is one who puts effort into making seamless and functional transitions. Yeah, okay, fair enough. It's more important that the DJ respect the music and not make it distracting. Uh, that's going to be a matter of taste, but I totally agree. Um, just as far as what I like in a DJ and the type of DJing that I think that I do, uh, it's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more uh, in the it's thinking you, you, the dj is thinking a lot rather than um showing off skills that are difficult uh that's not true cuz i also love watching you know dj craze and qbert and, and and everybody do their thing a lot of dj's and newer dj's do this a lot um where they just add effects because or they grab a loop because or they do snare rolls and then they they do this over and over again or they grab the mic and they won't get off the mic the whole time stuff like that i just find that irritating but some people don't matter of taste adrian says someone who understands the art of djing for a crowd and has the technical skills that a dj must possess such as beat matching mixing equalizing and distributing sound properly among various channels using a variety of hardware and software well, those are high standards I can't say I disagree with. Um, someone who understands the art of DJing for a crowd, certainly that's important uh, unless you don't play for a crowd. Maybe you do a live stream, maybe you do bedroom mixes, recorded mixes, stuff like that. And distributing sound properly among various channels using a variety of hardware and software. So I will definitely say if real DJing or if a real DJ is not the term you want to use there for what you're describing, Adrian... Um, you're, that you're definitely describing a professional, right? Uh, somebody who knows how to handle the crowd, knows how to properly uh, distribute the music through these channels and get everything hooked up properly, um, knows how to beat match, mix, e uh, EQ. It sounds like uh, real DJing is somebody, uh, a real DJ is somebody who is a professional. That's a pretty good point. Anthony says, I used to have all these preconceived notions about what a good DJ needs to know how to do. I've since thrown those ideas out the window. The only unifying skill is to know how to keep your gear from redlining. That aside, there are tons of ways to rock a crowd. You don't need to beat match every transition, so beat matching isn't a requirement. You don't need to double drop conflicting frequencies every transition, so EQing is not a requirement. And that list goes on and on. From the bedroom DJs to the turntablists to the club DJs and the rave DJs and to everyone else in between, if you're doing something that involves playing music that sounds good and makes people happy, you are a good DJ. I like that. And, I, and that, so the funny thing is when I read Anthony's response and Adrian's response, they're almost diametrically opposed in some ways, but I also find myself agreeing with both of them. So I think that's where, you know, that's probably why I talk about this so much is because every time it comes up, somebody makes a point that I'm just like, hey, okay, I see what you're saying uh, on either side of the aisle. And so, yeah, I, I like this. You know, if you're doing something that involves music and it makes people happy, you're a good DJ. Fair enough. So are we talking about what makes people happy or what's a professional? Maybe that's a distinction that people have in their head when they're having this conversation. I've never really thought about that before. Rob says, A historian, a musician, a messenger of the gods. Anyone can play a record, but a DJ goes deeper than the average mortal. And then finally, Larry says, Since being established in this business since 1970 on seven radio stations, and then he goes through a list of where he's been and what he's done. Numerous nightclubs, 
etc. Either you're a glorified record changer, an announcer type, or a mixmaster type. There are personality types, a signature showman performance type, those that put that number one piece of PR equipment to use effectively, the mic, and others that don't, won't, or can't. So yeah, that once again, this speaks to all the different kinds of DJs there are, and everybody can kind of build their brand a different way and find their audience, and I think that's really the key here, is when you're a DJ, unless you're playing and you're just putting together products for yourself or whatever, but if you have an audience and that's your goal, whether that audience is online or in person or wherever it is, um, there are a lot of ways to approach this. There are a lot of different kinds of DJs, and so... For me or anybody else to come and tell you what is or isn't a real DJ is somewhat limiting uh, creatively, right? So if you have a way to present music and share music with other people and those people resonate with whatever it is that you're doing, then you're DJing. Now, whether or not you're a real DJ is always going to be up uh, you know, in the eye of the beholder and we'll probably be having this conversation for as long as DJing continues to evolve and innovate, which is something that can be said for having this conversation, is we wouldn't be having it if there weren't just constantly new things happening in the DJ space all the time. There's always a new technology, always a new piece of DJ gear, always a new piece of software or an update or something like that, some new file format, something to pursue when it comes to DJing. And then once you get out of DJing, if that's not enough for you, you can move it into production or live PA or something like that. So there's a lot of different ways to go, and nobody really gets to tell you what that method is. And I think that's really the key here is we can all have our definitions. And, I, you know, I've gotten into arguing this definition of what, what is a real DJ and what isn't. But at the end of the day, we're talking opinions no matter what. So take whatever it is that's important to you about DJing, cherish it, hold it close to your heart, and then do it with all the conviction in the world. And to me, you'll be a real DJ. And with that, this has been the Passionate DJ Podcast.